invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. We'll be walking through portions of this uh, maybe familiar story for us. Line after line in John's Gospel, it's a portrayal of Jesus' identity as the Christ, the Messiah, in order that all who hear might believe. That's what John tells us at the end of his Gospel. Jesus is God, he starts out with. In the beginning, with the Spirit hovering over spoken creation, Jesus is the feast giver, turns water into wine. He is the true temple, come with grace and with truth. He is the one born from above in water and spirit. He is the light shining into the darkness, which the darkness cannot overcome. Throughout the gospel, we meet Jesus in unexpected ways and perhaps no more unexpected ways than his loving presence with this Samaritan woman. She, like all humanity, thirsts. And so Jesus comes to her, not only to satisfy her deepest thirst, but that from her, through her, he might then pour forth streams of living water. And that's what we have for us today. We come to Jesus to drink of him that through us, streams of living water might flow for the life of the world. Will you join me with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word, which is living and active. It comes to divide. So slay us now that you might heal us, make us whole more into the image of Jesus Christ, that we might be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, if uh, John's gospel is about the identity or, or who Jesus is, that's what we're asking. Who is Jesus? Well, chapter 4, verse 19 gives us at least this aspect. Chapter 4, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This prophet, he comes inviting participation in the life of God. Chapter 4, verse 6 reads this way. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's noon. He's traveling from down south near Jerusalem, going up north to the Sea of Galilee, that region. And he's going directly there, right through the region of Samaria. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Jesus was weary, our text says. His foot sore hungry, he's thirsty, and so he rests. He rests at the well. So if we see nothing else, if you tune out the rest of the sermon, that's fine. No offense. Just hear this. We see Jesus in the fullness of his humanity here. The all-powerful, he knows our weakness. He shares in our infirmities, and he sympathizes with us. More than that, he enters in with us. This woman, too, was weary, footsore from life's journey. She's thirsty. So we'll see Jesus has patience with this woman. And I don't wonder if his interactions with her are due in large part. The way he interacts, he's very patient in large part because she enters humbly. She engages honestly. She's eagerly searching out, who is this Jesus? So Jesus initiates with her. Jesus invites her. He says, give me a drink. Verse 9 of chapter 4. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In one sentence, the woman highlights immovable social faux pas, which Jesus is breaking with this one request. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Men wouldn't be sharing drinking vessels with a strange woman, as Jesus is requesting here. Men wouldn't talk with this kind of a woman. As John clues us in, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, why, why is that? I mean, they're neighbors. They're, 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 they, they touch boundaries. Why? Well, think of this. Centuries before this scene here, there was the United Kingdom under King David and then King Solomon, and soon that kingdom divided. And you've got South Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom, which Northern Kingdom now is Samaria here. When the, uh, that kingdom was established, they set up two new cities, basically t- their own Jerusalems, where they would center their life in these two new towns and practice their own forms of worship and taking in other bits of Canaanite religion along the way. They would take God's law and bend it to their purposes. For generations, war was waged between Samaritans and Jews. So that even after the exile, when the restoration was beginning and God is sending uh, Jews back to Jerusalem, you know who was waging war, who was threatening them? Certainly the neighbors around Jerusalem and Judea, but among them, Samaritans. These old grudges don't die easily. Both Jew and Samaritan, when they meet each other on the road, would just as soon spit in the other's face before sharing a drink of water with them. And yet, we see here both a Jewish Jesus and a Samaritan woman are thirsty, who will satisfy. Chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus promises living water. It's like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not, who stands not, who sits not. But what is it? Blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night. He's like the man planted by streams of living water, like the tree planted by streams of living, living water, it just means it's moving water. There's emotion to it. It looks as if it's got life. Fresh, moving springs of water, opposed to still stagnant waters found in the depths of a well. Now, the woman isn't wrong to ask her questions of Jesus, but Jesus is driving at something different, isn't he? He's saying as good as the well is here, yes, even as good as Jacob's well is, he says, I have something better. So we need to pause for a minute and discuss wells in the Bible because it's such a deep subject. Okay? Thank you. Wells are a source of life in the desert land of Israel, the place where wives are found. Isn't that great? I'm thirsty. Well, I better go find a wife, too. Well, two and one, they get to a well. Think of Rebecca, 
Where, where, was, uh, where was she found? At a well. And Jacob, where does he first meet Rachel? At a well. There's imagery here of oh, oh, streams of living water flowing from this, this, this well in the form of woman. Wells are the place for a bridegroom to meet his bride. And so John records this encounter only a few breaths after he records the wedding in Cana of Galilee. So we really can't see this encounter apart from the imagery of a bridegroom seeking out a bride here at the well. And this is not just any well. This is Jacob's well. He was ancestor to Jew and Samaritan alike. And Jacob is the one who was renamed as Israel, whose offspring formed the tribes of Israel. And so our imaginations not only wander into the realms of bridegroom and bride imagery, but we begin to wonder, in what ways is this Samaritan woman an image of Israel? In what ways is she an, an image of wayward Samaria? attempting to quench their adulterous thirst on lovers less wild than the God from whom living waters do spring. So we're going to watch for that. How is this woman like Israel? How are we like Israel? How is this woman like us? She asks, are you greater than Jacob? Where is this water which you talk about? This prophet has invited in, and this woman of Samaria enters in as well. John is painting an identity or portrait of Jesus as a prophet here who invites, and now he paints the, as the prophet who gives the Spirit, verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal Life. The contrast is clear. You've got some H2O in a deep well, and it's still. It's not moving. It's not running. But Jesus promises to give water that is living, that is flowing, that is springing forth. Jesus gives water, he promises, that satisfies thirst to the depth of the soul. Remember, one must be born again, must be born from above by water and by the Spirit. That one who was born from above, as we heard last week, that one is Jesus Christ. He is the born again one in whom we hide ourselves. And John reminds us here what it is to hide ourselves in that born again one who is Jesus Christ. Like this woman, we are to come to him thirsty and we are to ask of him and we are to drink of him. And if we try him out, if we give him our external lives, our internal lives holy to him, what he promises here in this passage is that our thirst will be satisfied in him. That's the first promise. Living waters will satisfy. Second thing he promises is that living water will flow through those who drink from him. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we will no longer thirst for other waters for other things in life, love from a significant other, recognition for a job well done, passion and excitement in life's adventures. We are to drink from these wells and these waters, but they can never be the source of our final or ultimate joy and satisfaction. Jesus is the source of living waters. His living water brings life to all other waters. All others are stagnant. 
stagnant and still in comparison. But in Christ, they begin to flow and to move and to live. Our thirstings must always find their in Jesus Christ. Or the waters that we drink from, the wells that we drink from will become stagnant, tasteless, even poison. In John 7, where he comments on Jesus' teaching, Jesus teaches, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The echo, we hear it. And then John comments this, and he says, Now this he said about the Spirit. Later on in John's Gospel in chapter 7, we see John again brings this image of living water that will flow through those who drink from Jesus as the Spirit. Not only will the, the believer be filled with the Spirit, but then that Spirit will flow through them. Jesus in John 20 breathes out His Spirit on the disciples. Pentecost, the Spirit descends. This is the promise that is fulfilled. The living water is shown forth in the descending of the Spirit upon His children. Jesus meets this woman as a truth telling prophet in the spirit promising life. Drink from this well, he says, and you'll be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched for a time, but drink from me, he says, and you will become a source of life from which others may drink. And who wouldn't want that water? Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw, here to draw water again. Why, why not? I mean, going to the well is not that big of a deal. It's noon, so it's pretty hot. A really unusual time to come to a well. Why doesn't she want to come back? Verse 16 through 18. It's great. The, the shift in conversation. Right? Talks about water. And now Jesus says this. Go call your husband and come here. Well, that was abrupt. <laughs> Go and call your husband. Tell him to come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you, have, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And now we have a little bit of insight into why she comes to the well at noon when no others would draw water from it in the heat of the day. The word husband here, it's simply the Greek word for man. Go and call your man. Go and call your husband. I have no man. I have no husband. Perhaps she's in a case of a serial marriage, divorce. Perhaps she's been widowed five times over. Or perhaps she's just been with different men. Now, if you grew up in a small town or have known what life in the small town is like, you know what life for this woman is like. Everybody knows everything about her. Some will accept her and at least be in her company. Some will be polite. Often she'll be shunned. None would probably think that well of her. She has been thirsting for love, for affection, for acceptance. And she has been drinking deeply from the springs of intimacy and camaraderie with several tasty wells, but none have given everlasting life. And what's interesting to me in this is that Jesus doesn't rebuke or reject her out of this, does he? Look at his patience. He's kind here. He affirms her honest response. Maybe not completely honest, but this honest response. He does clarify her math a bit. And this becomes for her a kind of confession, doesn't it? We see her approach Jesus, and throughout this gospel, as people approach him honestly and humbly. I mean, this woman had no reputation. It was lost already. 
She dialogues honestly. He affirms it. But he does hit a sore spot, doesn't he? And when anybody starts to pry, what do we need to do? Let's change the subject real quick, right? Verse 19. So he talks about the, inviting the woman to bring her husband. No husband. Okay, let's do the math. You do, okay? Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Don't you like that? He saw into my soul. He told me where I was wrong. I see you're a prophet. Let me compliment you, Jesus. Verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You see what she did? It's getting hot when you're looking at me. Let's think about this mountain over here, this mountain over here. What is it? Where are we to worship? You're a prophet. You would know this. Stop looking at me. Where do we worship? Where do we worship? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Trinitarian worship is at the center of this chapter. We're just talking about wells and husbands. But Trinitarian worship is at the center. Coming to the Father, quenching your thirst in Jesus Christ, who gives his spirit in overabundance in order that we might worship. It seems she's chasing squirrels in this conversation a bit, but this whole dialogue is actually about thirsting for God. She's been thirsting in her relationships with others, but it's an image of thirsting for God. It's an image of worship. As Israel, uh, her forebears and those in Samaria, those who have gone before her, they pursued spiritual marriage with false gods and in foreign relations. They had husbands galore. And so she has pursued satisfaction through intimacy with husbands less wild than Christ. And Jesus meets this woman at Jacob's well where a bridegroom once sought his bride and now asks the prophet, this woman does, to lead her in true worship. Saying Jerusalem is the temple of the Jews and that's where Jews say we sh- you should worship. But Samaritans, we've got this mountain. We've got this altar. So prophet, tell us who's right. How do we worship the true and living God? And Jesus says, well, neither on that mountain nor on this mountain. Not real orthodox for a Jew at the day. But not at that mountain nor on this mountain, he says. Temples are mountains where people ascend to dwell with God as Moses did at Sinai. Where priests and people ascend to dwell with the living God from whom streams of living water flow. And Jesus affirms that God has brought salvation into the world through the Jews which you Samaritans have rebelled against. But that was never the telos. That was never the end. That was never the aim. Jesus is. He's the final mountain. He is the true temple at which we ascend to dwell with God. Chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The Father, Jesus says, is seeking worshipers. Jesus, in his journey up north, is seeking worshipers as well. Jesus comes as the true prophet, as the spirit giver, so that whoever drinks of him will worship in spirit and in truth. And later he he shows us that John, he shows John in in the book of Revelation. 
Jesus reveals to John that in the new heavens and the new earth, when there's the new Jerusalem, there will be no temple, for he will be there as the temple. Raised after three days dead, he will be the dwelling place of God with man, which is exactly what he's telling this woman here. What is it to worship in spirit and truth but to bow before the Father through Jesus Christ? To drink from Jesus' life-giving water is to bow in worship before our King and to follow Him in fidelity to His commands. Verse 25 goes on. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who was called the Christ, and when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. This is the prophet as the way to God. Jesus is the prophet of truth and of the Spirit. When he says, I am he, he reveals his identity to those close, the ones closest to him haven't even professed that identity yet. And yet she's hopeful. She's desiring that the Messiah would come, that the Christ, the anointed one of God, would be present with them someday. Whatever that means for her, whatever the scriptures mean, about the Messiah. She could not possibly understand the fullness of Jesus' confession here, but she understands enough, and she is changed. Look down at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see, a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. That's it. That's all she knew. This guy knows a lot about me. Is it the Christ? Is it the Messiah? She goes and tells people in her community, probably the same people who have looked askance at her, who have shunned her time and again, and she says, this could be the Messiah. You've got to come check this out. What is it for streams of living water to flow through a worshiper of Jesus Christ? Well, we just see it here. One who drinks deeply from the well of Jesus in his living water, that person will lead others to the source. As the streams of living water flow in and through them, others will taste and see that the Lord is good. And they will give honor and praise to our King. Others become, others come to Him now because Jesus points His eyes and says, hey, look, the harvest is ripe. And verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. They come Drink from the streams of living water themselves. So look, Jesus, as we enter this story, Jesus was weary, and he was hungry, and he was thirsty. We know what it is to be weary today, to be hungry, and to thirst. And we're left asking, where do we find rest? Where is our hunger satiated? And where is our thirst satisfied? What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't tell the woman to love less, does he? He doesn't tell her to love less. He just says love rightly. He tells her to drink even deeper, in fact, but drink from the heavenly bridegroom. See, he promises not perfection in this life, Following Jesus is not a 12-step plan to avoid suffering or problems in this life, but rather there's resurrection through death. That salvation is through the cross. 
that living water and being poured out for the sake of the well of living water then flows through those who give themselves to our bridegroom. See, our bridegroom approaches and he inspects us. He knows and can tell us everything about ourselves. And he invites us in still. See, we, his people, collectively, we are the bride of Christ. We are created in his image. We are renewed and recreated in his image to be satisfied in him above all else. And as we drink from him, others will see our affection for the best of bridegrooms. Now, some will mock. Others might blush. But many will come, and they will ask of us, where can we get such water? And we will simply walk with them to the fountain that is Jesus Christ, where we can then say, ask of him, give me a drink. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, and we pray your blessing upon us now who have looked and who have heard. Would you conform us into the image of your dear Son, that we might drink of the well of living water and thirst no more, and that through us springs of living water might flow, that others might see, others might behold, others might drink as well and give honor and glory to you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.